You are listening to episode 48 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Dominic King. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, this is Mirabon and I'm back. Sorry for the a uh, little bit of a time lapse in between episodes. I uh, was extremely busy with the Tennis Techniques Summit uh, that happened in late March, and that was like a huge effort. Uh, you know, just interviewing about thirty uh, world class tennis coaches, uh, which kind of resulted in me having to put a lot of time towards that, and then uh, you know having to take a little bit of a, a breather after that. But I'm back, and I've got a, a ton of great and awesome guests uh, scheduled, and including today's guest, Dominic King. And we're going to talk about a topic that I really love, which is a strength and conditioning for tennis. Uh, Dominic is an expert in this uh, field, and he uh, you know, practices uh, as the uh, head of athlete development uh, at Halton Tennis Center in the United Kingdom. And so we're going to cover a lot of great um, areas for you, obviously, you know, how to properly uh, train for strength and conditioning uh, for tennis and uh, st- tennis-specific exercises, uh, even conditioning on the road, uh, as well as the importance of uh, the use of legs in, in the sport. So hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did. Uh, and here is the interview with Dom. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm really excited to be here with Dominic King, who is head of athlete development for Every Ball Tennis at Halton Tennis Center in the United Kingdom. Uh, Dominic has a very accomplished background. Uh, Dom is an ITPA master tennis perf- uh, performance specialist, uh, and he's one of only a small number of people to hold this designation worldwide. Uh, Dom is also an accredited strength and conditioning coach with the UK Strength and Conditioning Association. He's also an NASM performance enhancement specialist, and he holds numerous other professional qualifications. And Dom uh, does a lot of work with a wide, you know, age range and uh, a player base, you know, anywhere from 80 to 80 plus years old. And he really enjoys helping each person that he works with improve and develop as an athlete. Um, Dom, you know, I'm really excited to have you on and I really appreciate you making some time to talk to us today. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, Dom. And, uh, you know, as we were talking, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, uh, unrecorded, uh, you know, I just really love and I'm very interested in the uh, tennis fitness side of things. I've always, uh, enjoyed working out and, uh, was very interested in, uh, just, uh, how we can keep our bodies, uh, healthy and, and, um, you know, in- improve our strength and, and conditioning and all that stuff. And that's what you're an expert in. So I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, you coming again. And so I just want to start off with asking you, uh, Dom, what made you decide to specialize in the fitness side of tennis? Um, I kind of I took a little bit of a scenic route sort of to there. Um, I played a little bit as a, as a junior, not to any kind of fantastic level, but enjoyed it a lot. Uh, then I 
kind of drifted a little bit from the game um started playing mainly basketball some other sports uh and then went to university uh came out of university actually ended up coming out of university and working in the finance department of a of a retailer if you can believe that um and then actually what happened was was my, my best friend from university actually was uh was was killed in a road accident unfortunately and you know it was obviously incredibly sad at the time but what it kind of prompted me to do was really take stock and and sort of think about what it was that I wanted to do and I, I didn't want to stay in that you know in, the, in that job any longer so I, I kind of quit that and uh, looked around and and I, I I'd always enjoyed you know playing sports I'd always enjoyed you know exercising to a degree probably hadn't done had huge amounts of experience in terms of the the strength and conditioning as it as it was um, but I thought I, I wanted to. So I thought I'd do a diploma in personal training and sports therapy. So I did that. Um, realised that was kind of an entry level type qualification. So gradually upskilled and, and did more and more and more. And then actually, it, it kind of coincided a little bit with um, the LTA at the time were, were putting together a blueprint for British tennis, like a plan going forward. And it kind of just hit home to me. I thought I've always loved tennis. I've always uh, enjoyed the sport and I thought this is this is a great opportunity for me coming into industry to kind of to get involved with it so um yeah contacted the LTA at the time and, and contacted a few of the the high performance centers they were Halton being one of them and uh kind of got into it there so it was it was you know and so I really haven't looked back and that was about uh, 10 over 10 years ago now nice that's awesome Dom and so I guess to go back a little bit as far as tennis did you uh do any competing or, or anything like that? Or did you mostly just kind of like hit around with your friends and stuff? Um, it was most, uh, it was mostly hitting around. I competed a little bit, didn't go on the junior tours or anything. Um, it wasn't really, I always say to the, to some of the players now, and, it, and it's not sort of a, Oh, you've got it easy. It was tougher in my day kind of talk, but there, there was nothing really around for me at that time, which is comparable to kind of what we can offer the players now. So I kind of wonder sometimes if that had been around, what might I have done? I don't know, but um, you know, it was it, yeah, it was it was sort of summer tournaments, um, regional tournaments, things like that. So yeah, that was sort of not not to any kind of massive massive level. Well, that sounds good, Dom. I mean, you you just have an incredible expertise in in the game now and uh, you're helping so many people improve their athletic capabilities. And so, you know, uh, in regards to that, you have so many different <laughs> accreditations and degrees and things like that. Um, and I'm curious also for myself and, and I guess the listeners too might want to go into this profession uh, that you're in, you know, wh which one of those might you find the most useful in, in what you're doing today? I think they've all had their, their benefits, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I, I my my degree. I actually went to university. And I, I, my degree was was uh, French and Russian, believe it or not. Nice. So, uh, studied languages, and that was sort of very much, I think, at the time. My my school was sort of pushing me towards that sort of pathway, I think. And I probably didn't know any better when it came to sort of choosing choosing my degree. Now, whether or not that's relevant now, I don't know. Unless there's kind of you know some French and Russian players at tournaments, and I can try and chat with them. But that was, you know, although it wasn't a, a sports science background, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't change it for the world because I, I had so many amazing experiences. And you know, while doing that degree, you spent a year abroad, you know, so all these things that helped me kind of that helped kind of shape me. Uh, coming up to that, when I did my entry level, um, which was with a company called Premier Training, uh, that was, you know, fantastic. Again, it was short, it was intense, but it kind of got me as a as an entry level uh, into the industry. 
I knew I felt pretty much straight away that that's what it was and I would need more. So uh, everything after that, whether it was kind of SAQ International sort of helping with some of the speed agility quickness development, um, the NASM, the performance enhancement specialist, that was, a, that was a great one to do, really sort of learned a lot through that. Some of the, as you sort of mentioned, sort of some of the other qualifications, I've done some um, sports, my sports NLP, um, heart math practitioner, which is all about sort of the mental state and sort of achieving optimal performance state. Um, nutrition lifestyle management course. I did one of those with the Czech Institute. So kind of, yeah, it's all we'll look at the holistic sort of uh, way of doing things, not just the physical kind of training. Um, there's no doubt that getting the UK SEA accreditation, that's the UK Strength and Conditioning Association accreditation, is is hugely important, or was hugely important. It's a tough process, but I think that's rightfully so. Um, I think it's important to make it a tough process. But it's very important to kind of have that to be to be very much recognised, you know, as a, as, a, as a as a good strength and conditioning coach within the industry. And there's um, mutual kind of arrangements and recognition of, of certifications across with the um, NSCA and sort of the Australian Institute as well. Uh, but obviously kind of going through the ITPA certification has been, you know, a fantastic process as the International Tennis Performance Association. So going through all of that and and, as you said, sort of, achieving my master tennis performance specialist award which i think there's about 10 or 12 of us worldwide now has been massively important it's been such a good learning experience um meeting people like yourself you know and just in what i do day to day as as you know obviously really really helps yeah for sure dom and it's funny i mean you know i i asked you over email a bit about the itpa and i've had um dr mark kovacs and todd ellen becker i believe uh i've co-founded that uh, organization yeah and believe it or not uh about like two hours ago i decided to uh you know purchase the uh tennis performance trainer the first level uh you know you did it good man good man yeah yeah so i'll take the exam in about three months and hopefully pass and but i'm really excited to just learn all about these things at a you know a bit more of a basic level than than you have with the uh, master uh, but, tennis performance specialist uh, certification. Well, so. I think I think it's a situation over email. You know, I don't, I don't think there's any downside to improving your knowledge and learning. So well done, yeah, great effort, well done, enjoy it. Thanks a lot, I really appreciate it, Dom. And so, also curious, uh, what athletes or coaches did you look up to the most when you were younger? You know, who kind of maybe motivated you or inspired you to? Uh, to get a sense of what you wanted to do in life ultimately? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think in terms of athletes, uh, I mean, growing up, Andre Agassi was my total idol. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of, he came along just to, at that that perfect age for me, you know, loved the, the denim shorts with the neon and <laughs> things that basically looked to completely model my forehand on his um love love the look you know i remember people at my the tennis club where i used to play when i was you know, probably what 12 years old commenting that i was you know sort of copying his grunt kind of you know as i was as i was hitting the ball <laughs> um which actually sort of as an aside makes it you know just highlights the importance that you know that we that we have as role models because those things get picked up by you know by the players when they're young um but yes agassi and then i kind of i loved i love the nba i loved, was watching a lot of basketball and it just kind of coincided with when Kind of the Chicago Bulls were, were were dominating. So obviously Michael Jordan at that time was watching that. Um, I'm not sure I kind of ever looked at. I know this might sound bad, but I'm not sure I ever really looked at coaches with too much of a of a seeing eye. You know, sort of really understanding what it what it was about. I was still probably looking more at the, at the athletes themselves. And and sort of even today, I guess I probably have 
in terms of the coach, I probably have as much admiration for the coaches I probably see day in, day out, rather than the ones that you see at a distance, because you don't really know what's going on in, you know, with, with them, what they're doing. Whereas I see the coaches where I am, and we've got a you know absolutely fantastic, phenomenal coaching team at, at Halton. Um, director of tennis Mike James does, a, does an outstanding job, and I just love watching them work and see what they do with with all of the different players. Um, so yeah, I, if that answers your question. Oh, it definitely does. Don. I appreciate that. Yeah, and and also speaking of Andre Agassi, I mean he was definitely one of my idols growing up. Um, he's half Persian like I am, but also, um, I guess, uh, Gil Reyes is going to be at that, uh, the world tennis fitness conference that you'll be speaking at. Uh, yep. I know he's, uh, he was Ag- Andre Agassi's trainer. Uh, so that's going to be really cool. And I'm going to try to make that one and watch you guys speak. So it'll be great. Um, yeah. but yeah, so now let's get into, uh, the strength and conditioning. Um, I guess got a bunch of questions for you there. Uh, we'll yep. try to fit it in this episode. Um, but <laughs> So I guess I'll, I'll start off by asking you, you know, how many strength and conditioning sessions do your players, you know, on average partake in per week? The, I guess the first response, which will probably be a lot of a lot of my first responses today, <laughs> uh, which probably won't please anyone, but is very much it, it depends. Sure. And and it kind of has to depend because it, it, context is, is, you know, is king in it. It's very hard to sort of say it's definitively one thing or another. Mm-hmm. So I just have to sort of get that out there, you know, straight away. Um, I guess, I mean, looking at it, a lot of my work is done with, with uh, developmental athletes. So kind of junior athletes. And for those who are sort of coming in more full-time players, aspiring professionals, there's pretty much recommendations or provision for about for two sessions per day so a monday to friday planned in the week so there'll be one in the morning one in the afternoon for other players we have a lot of players that kind of come out of school maybe might come out in an afternoon or they'll come out in the morning or so so that one that will very much depend on when they can come out so as a, as a general and it is a very general kind of rule of thumb a lot of them maybe will take part in two kind of squad sessions per week which will incorporate some strength and conditioning and then they may well have another one individual kind of strength and conditioning session in that. So yeah, on average, you're probably looking at maybe three a week. But for the for the more you know full time players, they're going to get a lot more. Gotcha, Tom. And and so also, I mean, I, obviously, I think, as you said, this might depend, too. But how long, you know, the, the workouts, because I've heard, uh, you know, some people say that you shouldn't work out for more than like 45 minutes or else it'll be too much, things like that. But do you have like a general maybe range for how long they're strength training for uh, in terms of time for each session? Uh, yeah. I mean, typically it will be sort of allocated an hour um, gotcha. slot. Now what you, what you do within that hour is as I say dependent on the goals of the session. So uh, yeah, that, that might be filled in, in any number of different ways. Um, I'm not, it's a, it's a tricky one because that's, I guess the way the industry is to a degree in terms of times and, and sessions and appointments but sometimes it, it's easy to get caught up in that and i don't think it's necessary to because as you say it depends when the work is done the work is done so it's probably to sort of think of it like that rather than thinking that you've got to you know fill the time just because the time is there but yeah that's, that's another probably another conversation to be had but yeah typically about now Nice. Okay, great, Dom. And, and so I guess I'll try to frame this question with slightly more specific. So I guess for the average, let's say, adult player who's, you know, in his uh, 
thirties or forties, let's say, uh, who's maybe like a four zero or four five player. How would you recommend that they split their workouts? Because I mean, you know, people sometimes they do like a full upper body or and then full lower body the other day, or they might do like. Uh, you know, full body, um, uh, in a session, they might do push pull, they might do like legs, arms, you know, like separated right. by body parts. So do you have a general one that you prefer over the others? Uh, I'm not a huge fan of sort of splitting by body parts when it comes to kind of training for, for sports and, and for tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, you know, slightly more of a, Want to be a phrase sort of a bodybuilding, body sculpting type approach rather than sort of an athletic development type approach. Uh, but it depends again. It sort of depends on the on the I guess that the amount of sessions they're going to have. But if you've got if you're a it's a an adult an adult player, then you're probably looking at keeping it as a total body type session, uh, in, incorporating all the major major moves. I guess if you want to sort of you know get get the most in. I'd, I'd look at kind of supersetting exercises. So you, again, you could keeping rest times to a minimum, getting as much as you can kind of in. Um, but yeah, I mean, with the, with the players we have, we sort of have the, the morning session tends to be more of a conditioning and movement based. And the, in the afternoon is more of a gym based, whether that's strength or injury reduction type ideas, um, sort of more specific, tense specific type movements. So I guess if you haven't got as many sessions during the week, still incorporating aspects of those within the program or within the sessions would be so would be beneficial so i think yeah i i I would tend to classify kind of training as being training movements rather than body parts right that makes a lot of sense because i mean obviously you know you the tennis strokes and things like that depend on uh many different parts of your body and you're not just gonna use one and so I guess to kind of solidify this concept, because a lot of people, uh, tennis players, they'll just do, you know, they'll do the wrong workout. They'll just like bench press. I mean, not that these things are bad, but bench press, deadlift, and or they'll do like uh, super high reps or something like that. Um, how is working out for a tennis player uh, different than general weight training? Yeah, I mean, very different in my opinion. Um that's why we sort of, you know, have the, the the specialist kind of roles and specialist certifications for it because it because it is different. Uh, I, I mean, just sort of in terms of exercises and selections, I guess in many ways there is there's no real right or wrong in terms of selection, and I think we all probably have different ways of doing things. And I think the key thing really is is if you if you as a, as a coach can kind of justify the inclusion of the exercise within the program. You know, if, if you can't, then then you're probably in a little bit of trouble. You know, if you can if you can justify the inclusion, then then OK, it might be slightly different from the way someone else does it. But that's that's OK. You know, we're all different. Um, I saw, in fact, just, I just had this thought the other day. I have random thoughts, but I was watching Master, Master Chef. So I kind of like a cooking program. I don't know if you've got it in the yeah. yeah. Anyway, but there, there was just like a bunch. It was in the finals. There was a bunch of like top Michelin star chefs around the table. Now, all of them probably got some pretty big egos and, and, you know, confident in the way they do things. But yet they were very accepting of everyone else's way of doing things, if that makes sense. So I think it was just kind of like, you know, there may be we may do things differently, but I think that we need to respect that we can do things slightly differently. If that makes sense, I'm going off on tangent a little bit. Um, but I think in terms of training for tennis, we just got to keep in mind that everything we do within the gym and I'm, I'm sort of keep it probably more strength based for the for this sort of discussion everything we do sort of in the gym has got to be done to transfer onto the court 
so which is different in terms of kind of just training for for aesthetics or training for training's sake or training for sculpting training for building master and whatever you know it has to transfer onto the court we can we can't sort of ever lose sight of that so even though we've got different methods or we might have different ideas you know we've got to keep that sort of end goal in mind um you know a lot of kind of more traditional strength training is quite sagittal plane you know very up and down tennis as we know is 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 not that at all you know it, it's we've got to train across all the all the planes of motion um you know the majority of movement in tennis is is lateral we, we you know we know that the research has given us that so we've got to we've got to plan for that you know we've got we've got to factor that in it's also a hugely you don't need to say but it's a hugely rotational sport so again if we're just going straight up and down not factoring in the rotational aspect you know we're gonna we're not gonna truly plan for for tennis and that might not be incorporated within traditional kind of strength training um and as sort of mentioned before you know a lot of strength training will look to kind of you know segmentalize the body is that word but segmentalize the body into those different body parts um so you know you're training this on that day this on that day this on that day but but tennis is about linking as you just said linking the you know the entire body so you've got to link the lower body into the upper body through the through the midsection and, and so the, the requirements of training have to reflect that and that is in large part very different from kind of that traditional approach thanks tom yeah that's very valuable i'm sure a lot of um you know players just listening to this will probably change up their workout routines and more uh, optimize what they're doing uh and i could just imagine you like i mean I, you're a really nice guy i was just thinking of you randomly just uh acting like gordon ramsay and and if they if your students aren't obeying or you know what you're saying you say get out <laughs> uh, that's that happens rarely very rarely I, t- I, t- I tend not to adopt that approach too much but uh it has it has been known they say if i if i do uh if i do shout then they know that i've um yeah they know that i, I mean it <laughs> sure sure yeah now gordon ramsay's hardcore um so as far as um i guess this is kind of a periodization question to some degree i was curious about um you mentioned earlier about the recovery periods that you generally keep them uh, on the a low side i suppose but i was going to ask you what rep ranges and recovery periods do your players generally use and and does this kind of change if they're in off season or, or depending on the type of workout uh yeah absolutely um yeah com- yeah absolutely varies uh i guess it's probably I guess probably a couple of ways to look at that. Um, if you sort of think about the, the the pros or the aspiring pros or the top competing juniors, the 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 concept of that that classical kind of linear periodization approach is 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 not easy because of just the sheer number of competitions that they're playing. Uh, there will be those periods, and they will hopefully, if it's factored in you know, appropriately, they will have periods where they can devote to the training, and then that will depend very much on what that focus is so if someone needs to put on some some mass then yeah then the training will will vary accordingly for that so you're probably looking at that sort of 8 to 10 8 to 12 rep range slightly lower rest and sort of really trying to build volume in a multiple sets but the the some of the development and developmental athletes that we have in in our squads we, i mean i look to produce a, an annual plan um which runs very much along these sort of the three uh terms of the academic year that we, that we have in the uk so within that annual plan, I'm to try and in- adopt a little bit of a, a, a form to be you know, inverted commas periodized approach, mm-hmm. which kind of leads towards um, 
the the heavier periods of competition which is normally sort of in the in the holidays so you might have you know some periods of general physical prep which will be you know anything from sort of conditioning base or kind of strength technique strength foundations then it might go a little bit more kind of tennis specific prep sort of tagline I, I have for it which again can range from a number of different things which will bring rep ranges down probably into more strength work introduce some power work as well some strength speed speed strength then you're looking at kind of the pre-comp prep which is getting a lot shorter sharper more intense and then sort of the in comp so we try and sort of adopt that a little bit with the with uh, across the annual plan um i guess for those as sort of I mentioned further down that that journey or more full time or more competing you know speed and power really are, are kind of the name of the game so for me that means kind of keeping those as the as the emphasis i guess so more of that lower rep strength um and power kind of will remain a focus because the time you have with those athletes might be less um compared you know because you're getting them in between tournaments so it's very much for me a little bit of the the idea of this this minimum dose response so you're trying to think what is the minimum amount that i can really give that gives them you know the maximum kind of response for that uh, so rather than overdoing it, you know, but you want to want to make sure that it's sort of relatively intense. But if you're, you know, a developmental athlete, it's about developing sound technique, strength base, foundation. So that will kind of that will be that will be different. You know, that, that answers your question. But yeah, no, that's perfect. Now I appreciate that. And so, as far as kind of like really low rep ranges and using like ninety percent plus of a one rep max uh, weight. I mean, I know that. Uh, well, first off, everybody, you, you should definitely seek uh, you know professionals like uh, like Dom when you because this technique is important, especially if you lift you know heavy. But do you do you use that type of like maybe let's say one to three reps too? Like, do you do you ever use that for uh, just maximal strength as well? Uh. The singles and doubles less so. Um, triples or three reps, yes. On occasion, the, the, the doubles, the, the, the two reps, yes, for some power work. Um, the strength probably around about sort of four to five. Yeah, I've got no problem with 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 working with that. You're absolutely right though. You've got to you've got to earn the right to lift that. You know, it's, it's there's no point in in just launching straight into those sort of weights if you're not you know you haven't got good technique and and that's the point that I make you know repeatedly um there's nothing inherently dangerous with you know in terms of strength work for for junior athletes provided it's you know progressed and and safe um so some some players that have that, that now are sort of 14 15 are, are lifting some some good weights but that's because they started when they were nine and ten you know with body weight or very light medicine balls and, and things like that so they've, they've gradually progressed and earned the right to do it and if they can do it and they're they're safe doing it then i'm happy with them doing it um so yeah i'd say there is a yeah an absolute need i mean you, you can't strength you know, tennis is a lot about strength endurance power endurance so you could argue the case that you can only endure something if you have it in the first place so you know you have to develop that that strength and that power to be able to then do it repeatedly and then that sort of again forms part of the training the development of the training um that said as a bit of a, a bit of an, a bit of a caveat I'm not about, as I said before, it's about transferring to the courts. I'm not about just chasing load in the gym. It's not about like who can lift the heavy, heaviest. Let's see this. It's got to have a transfer. It's got to have a, you know, transfer onto the court. So if going for that extra strength and, and trying to push that extra strength, if, it, if it's not going to transfer it onto the court, then you've got to question why you're doing it. 
and there, and there might be a, you know you need to make sure that that's going to transfer into increased speed increased power and you know improved movement movement efficiency and sort of make that make that call is it worth chasing that extra extra strength or that extra load or is it is it better kind of spending time on something else yeah that's really a fantastic point Dom especially given that everyone uh you know they say that they don't have enough time in the day and whatnot so it's uh just kind of eliminating things that won't give you the you know good return on investment if you will um and so I'm very curious I mean obviously like you said uh your workouts really vary and things like that. Um, but I guess I'm going to change this question up to what are maybe three, three exercises that you, you most, um, implement in, in players routines or that you think will give a really huge uh, return on investment <laughs> or, or you can just go through no, no, a typical no. workout. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was thinking, no, it's that, it's that whole, um, it's that whole kind of, can, can you actually give, just three exercises because yeah. it's how those exercises fit into right. the overall program and how they, you know, what, what they have, what they work alongside. And so that's why I'm always, always slightly kind of wary of the, sure. give, you know, three or three or five exercises. I know it's what people want because they want to go back and, you know, and, and just go, right. Yeah. You know, Dom said, do this or, or <laughs> someone, someone said, do that. So that's what I'm going to do. But it's, it's, it's got to fit into the overall kind of picture. Right. Um, that said, working the posterior chain i think is is key mm -hmm. so uh, and and i do quite a lot of that sort of single leg so looking at kind of single leg rdls single leg kind of hip bridging um you know exercises kind of like that i think are, are important especially again from from a developmental athletic sort of point of view um posterior chain as well with with some especially some of the female athletes uh, just because strengthening up through the through the hamstring tennis is an incredibly quad dominant sport so making sure that they get balanced through the hamstrings is is important uh and 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 sort of adolescent girls i'm pretty i think i'm right in, in saying that there's been sort of a lot of research into acl injuries and for some reason i don't think i don't think we truly kind of understand the reasons why but there's there's sort of an acknowledged drop off in terms of hamstring strength amongst especially to adolescent girls rather than adolescent boys the boys kind of keep their strength and the girls seem to lose it and and sort of hamstring strength reduction posterior chain strength reduction is one of the implications within acl injuries as far as i am aware of. that was what the research was saying so so work on that is is, is important um yeah, others, I mean, it's hard. I'm trying not to say kind of squats, I guess, things like that, rotational work, uh, lunges, you know, those sort of any kind of lunge patterns, but sort of, right. you know, matrix, so clockwork lunges, forward lunges, side lunges, rotation lunges, again, just sort of opening out the hips, loosening out the hips, but doing it kind of, you know, with, 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 with a strength component to it, I guess. No, that's good stuff. And I, I just wanted to clarify that RDL is a Romanian deadlifts, right? Yes. Yes. Or straight leg deadlifts, different leg deadlift, you know, a number of different kind of names for it. But I mean, it's, you know, I've got, if I think of sort of off the top of my head, you know, three, three players who are, uh, what's one, 12, one's 12, one's 15, one's 21, you know, that they'll all have, if I'm thinking of them just immediately off the top of my head, they, they will all have, uh, you know different requirements to their program so for example the the younger player will be very much kind of say developmental she's going through a bit of a growth spurt so loading was starting to you know cause a bit of soreness through the back so we thought we'd take away some of the loading so she's having a lot more body weight um cable work uh single arm single leg 
the the 15 year old is is very much sort of got a very good training history so is doing quite a lot of um kind of strength work but is needing to maintain a little bit of a lower base quite tall athlete so needing to maintain a lower base so got a lot of kind of low kind of low hex bar deadlifts in there low handle uh, a bit of looking to sort of improve the the drive for the legs so squats complex but you know session with um some squat jumps and and things like that so and the, and the older person um looking to kind of very much develop a movement so again some of the research is indicating that hip dominant exercises are more preferable than quad dominant so took completely backed off some of the squats and doing a lot more sort of hip thrusts deadlifts rdls to sort of developments uh, you know develop the hip so uh, you know all having different requirements and so they're sort of you know no typical programs but it just gives you an example it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Gotcha. Great stuff, Dom. And so this is a question for all the meatheads out there like I used to be. Um, you know, obviously you talked about the, uh, like deadlifts and, uh, squats, which are uh, huge components of every, you know, general weightlifting program. Uh, but how about the bench press? Does that have any functional, uh, place in a, in a tennis player's workout? Cause I mean, I know I saw like Andre Agassi, he was benching it a lot, maybe 300 pounds or so. But you know, I looked at the c- complete conditioning for tennis book, uh, second edition, which is, uh, fantastic. And I don't even think I saw it there. So do you think the bench press has any, uh, utility for tennis players? <sighs> God, that's a, you know, that, that's a trick question only because whatever I say, I'll probably get, you know, flack from either side. Um, <laughs> I, I think for me, limited use, mm-hmm. um, I will tend to do things differently for, for the, for the chest, for the pushing muscles. Uh, in fact, I, I read the other day and, and a, a great resource on this is, um, is Eric Cressy. I don't know if you know Eric Cressy. I've heard of him. But um, you know, specialises very much in in baseball, but uh, gets asked a lot about about benching for for baseball players for pitchers, and he's not a very big advocate of it at all. And actually, read an article from him the other day. I think reiterating, I think it was written from a while ago, but it still rings true. Just sort of, you know, in reiterating his stance on on why and in terms of how it probably fixes the scapula onto the bench, and and actually, you know, you want the scapulas to have a little bit of movement to you know to it. Uh, he was there saying, you know, if someone is, is I think, I don't want to misquote it, but, you know, if someone is, is healthy, uh, has no shoulder issues or any, any problems, then then you can consider it. Um, if, I've, if I've used chest press, I've tended to go sort of more dumbbells, again, a little bit more shoulder friendly. Um, but even then, I, haven't, uh, I probably would go for, you know, cable press or um, body weight, so push-up variations or a landmine press with um, – with, with a bar sort of standing on end and you, and you push it up and away from yourself, those sort of pressing movements over the, the, the standard kind of bar, chest press, bench press. Gotcha. Great stuff, Dom. And so, I mean, obviously it sounds like, you know, doing one workout uh, for 10 years it isn't a good idea. So how long, or, or sorry, how often would you change up uh, generally a, a workout routine for your players? 
I'm going to use that phrase again. It depends. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you knew it was coming, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Oh, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. There's no, such... no, no, no. <laughs> We say the same um, thing as lawyers too. It depends. We always say, yeah, that. absolutely. <laughs> uh, but but I mean, it, I mean, it really does. It's probably not as as often as you would expect. It's probably not as often as I possibly should. Um, I probably look to try change some aspects of a program every sort of going out. So I would say sort of four to six weeks, I guess. But that could just be adding in a you know, a different component to the workout or, you know, rather making completely kind of wholesale changes. But again, it would depend very much on that, that sort of where the player is in terms of their tournament schedule, where the tournaments are, are they looking to ramp up the intensity of it? Um, you know, how much time you've got, uh, you know, for example, if one, if a player's just, for example, a player's just been away for um, three weeks, three and a half weeks uh, playing tournaments, it's back for about four to five days. Uh, before going off for another couple of weeks of tournaments and you just think well there's no point in changing anything up there they're comfortable with the, with the session so let's just let's just carry on with that one um so yeah i mean it would depend very much on on how you're looking to, to plan the training up but yeah i mean as you say you definitely want to change things up right. fairly regularly because otherwise yeah it will get stale and and, and the, the progress that you make will, will, will plateau off and you need to provide a, a different stimulus Fantastic. Appreciate that, Dom. And so one other, um, I guess um, I'll, I'll put some, um, what do you say? Ah, I forget the word. But anyway, uh, one example that I'd like you to, uh, I guess, answer is let's say we have a player who uh, they haven't really ever done any strength training. Uh, and to give context that maybe they're like a 4-0 again, you know. And, and so would you have this player uh, like concentrate more on the on uh, building a strength base first or would you have them maybe mix in some tennis specific or would it again kind of <laughs> depend on, um, you know, where they're at and, you know, after evaluating, you know, their physical uh, characteristics? Uh, yeah, I mean, evaluate first, see where, see where they're at, see where they've got, you know, where there might be some strength um, issues or limitations, where there might be some mobility or flexibility you know, issues. So take that into consideration uh but yeah if they're, if they're kind of fairly fresh into it then just a you know, general kind of strength base is is a good place to start so those kind of we always talk about them but the the the, the movement patterns of the the squat hinge push pull uh brace rotate those sorts of um absorb so landing as well so those sorts of things would be, would be a good place to start um i mean this is uh, it's it's a bit of yeah it's a it's a point because I, I, I made I wrote a little little piece about kind of tennis specific positions tennis specific mm-hmm. training um and again as i said you know if you can justify it then, then, then great but you know there are a number of tennis will put you in a whole heap of crazy positions you know reaching for the balls you're going to be in position so when you're told and and, and sort of starting off you know in your, in your trainer journey you're probably told right when you lunge you know you mustn't let the knee go over the toes you must you know keep keep all this this great form perfectly straight back this that and the other you know and you, and you then look at positions that the tennis players get into and you're thinking well that's not anything like it you know so it, it's just you'll hear a number of different kind of views on it and whether we should be putting players and and that's of any age ability in, into these sorts of positions um i kind of think you know while the the traditional kind of strength exercise will probably form the basis and the bedrock of what i do i think if you i think you kind of almost you you need to expose the athlete to some of those positions that they're going to be finding themselves in 
um, again, because it, it's going to have a transfer over to the court. And I think you're probably doing them a little bit of a disservice if you if you don't prepare them for that. So, yes, yeah, so I think there'll be, so there will be kind of traditional strength exercises, but then you can sort of vary them around a little bit, make them a little bit more tennis specific for want of a better for a better term. Excellent. I appreciate that. And so this is a pretty broad question. I just want you to name any sort of, uh, I guess, the biggest mistake that you see players make while they're uh, strength and, you know, training their strength and conditioning for tennis. I mean, it could be a technique or something or just a program or anything in general that you see, you know, fairly frequently that you have to correct. Uh, and talking, uh, what sort of what sort of level? Any particular? Um, let's go, let's say let's go with maybe a adult thirty uh, year old player. Uh, good question. I would say uh, going back, maybe not making it for athletic development. And I don't, you know, it, I, I I sort of look at anyone who's who's playing as sort of being classified as an athlete. So if, if they want, if someone's playing for the, or, or training for their tennis and they're, they're wanting to improve their tennis, irrespective of their, you know, their age ability, then uh, they, they want to think of themselves as an athlete. So much like the discussion we, we just had about sort of training for tennis versus traditional kind of gym based training, I think probably keeping it very much that traditional approach, that bodybuilding segmentalization type approach, I think they would probably benefit from thinking of themselves as an athlete and training the, the movements um, and the things that will be required for them to play. Yeah, it's a great point, Dom, because there's a lot of, um, you know, the tennis players, they, they kind of separate, you know, they don't link it together. They just, oh, I'm working out and then oh, now I'm playing tennis. But it would um, be much better if you kind of train with uh, ten- being a tennis player in mind. So it's yeah. a great point there. <laughs> on the flip side, on the flip side of that, though, of course, now with sort of, you know, we, we get access to a lot more of what the what the pros do, and I think maybe some people look at find videos or find things that the pros do and think, right, I'll copy that one. And again, they might launch into it without having that foundational strength and, and ability to to you know, provide the, the foundation for that for that type of training so you see that a lot from some of the you know some of the junior players they'll see a video you know they're obviously very very tech savvy they'll find videos of, of pros playing and think right i want to do that i'm going to do that and you think and you think well hold on you you know they they're a pro they're a 10 you know, year pro they've been training since they were however old you, you're not at that stage yet so yeah i think they've got to be wary of the, of the, of the flip side of that as well yeah, no, great point again. I mean, it, you as well as uh, so many great coaches like uh, Brian Bolin from UVA and uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs and Alistair McCaw, I mean, they all say that, you know, tennis, uh, it's an individualized approach. So you have to just look at where you are, evaluate your skills. And then according to that, that's how you can structure, you know, a good good program, uh, optimal program for yourself. Um, so Dom, I, I saw on the uh, World Tennis Fitness Conference uh, hosted by the ITPA that you will be speaking about strength and conditioning on the road, which uh, is a fantastic topic. Uh, and so I just wanted to ask you, I guess, some general tips for these types of players who are always traveling, but they want to you know, do some strength and conditioning, especially, you know, these Players who are uh, traveling to ITF tournaments, maybe, and, and they're they're on the road for so so many weeks, and and you know what what should they be trying to do? Um, it's a it's a great topic. I mean, I'm, I'm I can't wait to sort of talk about it. Um, <laughs> I kind of feel like I 
probably you know you can't give it all away here advanced screening um <laughs> i mean it's it, it's kind of like it starts off with a bit of an education piece i think in that there i mean they have been probably still are there, a number of players who just have it in their head that when they're at tournaments it you know i'm at a tournament i'm at a tournament and, I'm, and i can't do any training at all so you know i'm, I'm playing a match and, and that's it and you know, and I think that that needs to. It's an educational process to to, you know, I, I say I educate the athlete that actually there's an awful lot that you can do when you're at a tournament. Um, I mean, a few studies have shown. I think Mark, you know, Kovacs has has put one together about the, the drop off in in terms of physical qualities from tournament play. So, just that alone, you know, if if you go off and play three weeks of tournaments and you don't do any additional physical training during that time. You know, you can come back and, and actually be down on a lot of the physical qualities that you've worked so hard to to, to build up. So, you know, that's it's an important one to kind of um, keep in mind as well. Um, I mean, I, I sort of like I've, I've given the tagline before of selecting from the buffet. So you kind of, you know, you're giving the players when they go a bit of a buffet of programs which which they can select from you know select from at the appropriate time so it might be a, a strength based program it might be a you know power based strength power based program it might be uh, an injury reduction based program on the you know the key areas that they that they might need to work on it might be um specific kind of core tennis specific lower body upper body linkage kind of program it might be you know whatever mobility based program it might whatever so you're giving them a little bit of a of a selection that they can make the appropriate choices and and so it's kind of having I guess problem-solving ideas before before they go. So you're looking at, you know, what are the key tournaments? So if you're away for a three-week or four-week tournament block, which out of that block is 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 the key tournament that you're really looking to kind of you know peak for? So it's almost like a mini mini periodization. So you can probably train through the first couple, um, so that you, you know you're keeping those physical qualities ready for that last for that last tournament. You then got to you know have plans in place. Um, uh, well, I think mean, plan A, plan B, you know, all the way, but have plans in place in terms of uh, a number of days between matches. So if you're knocked out early, what can you do in that in that period of time? If you if you go deep into tournament, what can you then do? So you know, having having that in place, being consistent, so sticking with what you know, so you have the program, so you're not trying anything too radically different that's going to impact perhaps on, on on your you know on the on the tournament. So there's lots of things that you can kind of put in place. And, and educating that traveling is not a rest day you know that's still taking a toll on the body um yeah just just things like that so you've got lots of things in place ready for them to be able to use where that when they're away yeah it's really helpful dom because i mean it's important to keep up your you know physical conditioning and you just have to kind of prioritize like you said uh, which tournament is the most important to you otherwise you might not ever be really training uh strength Absolutely. training that is so that would not be very good that can happen. That can easily happen because the tournaments come, you know, come thick and fast, and and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of discipline required, you know, to for them to do it. But again, if there's some level of accountability that they can that they can have to ensure that the work gets done, um, something I've sort of tried to wrestle with over the years. I'm not too sure what the best way is, but I know there's some software that's just sort of coming out now, which you, know, you can you can all link onto the same same place, so you can actually see when workouts get done, provided the athlete is you know being honest about it, but. Um, so you know you can you can sort of monitor in that respect as well. That's great stuff, Dom. And so for players who are uh, traveling constantly, 
Uh, do you think they can have a good uh, workout without any weights? You know, sometimes, especially if they're in uh, different countries, maybe access to gyms is really tough. So is it possible to uh, work out without weights and still have, you know, decent um, upkeep of your conditioning? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely possible. And again, this is sort of part of the planning process of a little bit of a scouting in terms of what the, what facilities might be available. So if you know that there are going to be facilities, then great, you know, fill your boots. If there, are, if there aren't going to be facilities, then you have to sort of plan accordingly. Uh, I think, yeah, you can have a good workout without equipment. Whether or not it would be optimal right. is open for discussion. But, yeah, you can, you know, you could, you could have, but again, depending on the, on the goals that you're after. But if you... If if it's all you, if it's all you've got available, then it's then it's all you've got available, and it's, you know, it's probably better to do to do something. Um, so yeah, body weight chan- body weight exercises sorry can be challenging for for some, you know maybe not not so for others. Uh, you can increase intensity by kind of you know single leg work rather over over double leg work, um, single arm. Uh, you can have power exercises. They'll be they'll be quite intense. You can always keep the power up with an, in a number of different ways. Um, mobility type exercise type sessions you, know, you can do that without any equipment so you know all of those things you can you can do yeah so yeah i mean it's let's say focusing on any kind of key areas problem areas well you can you can do a lot of those without without equipment absolutely perfect awesome dom and so you know, you're also active in terms of um you know, writing pieces as well and and you wrote a very nice article on your website uh, maximizeathleticperformance.com Oh, good plug. Good plug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no worries. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a great site. And so you, you, the article is on the use of, uh, of the legs and rotation to generate power and also what we can learn from, uh, boxing and other combat sports. And it was kind of cool to see kind of, um, how we can learn from other sports like boxing and it transfers those principles over. So can you kind of just talk about, in, you know, what that article was, was trying to get at? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, firstly, I think you can get huge amounts of sort of transferability from, from a number of different sports. And, and so when I was young, I, I played a, a huge amount of different sports. And I think they, they all kind of you know, put things into the mix in terms of in terms of development. So I always let's look at sort of what other sports can bring. Um, the article sort of in question was it was it was kind of looking at, uh, yeah, boxing combat sports into and, and sort of the what can we learn perhaps within tennis? And it was. It was kind of I was looking I can't remember just sort of general sort of browsing one time and just found a copy I think it was the NSEA um, journal and it just kind of had a I think it was an article about the assessment and the contributors to of punching forces in in kind of combat sport athletes so it's kind of I've always sort of thought and there've been a number of kind of people who've made the link uh, I mean Andy Murray himself you know very big sort of boxing fan you know he's he, I've sort of always thought of boxing um, so tennis to be kind of quite similar in terms of its you know, gladiatorial nature quite often one-on-one um, you've got you know you've got a you've got a hit obviously a tennis players got to hit a ball rather than another person but there's still that kind of striking aspect so kind of you know looking at anything like that and, I, and I've also done a lot of reading of, of Stuart McGill I don't know if, you've, if you know of, of Dr McGill, of Stuart McGill's work um, and he's done a huge amount of work with, with MMA fighters uh, in terms of the the idea of this mobile hips and stable core kind of idea, um, which has become a bit of a mantra through my through my programming. So I thought, you know, if, if he's got that, and I had a chat with him at a conference several you know, a few years ago about that, and and it seemed like the the the, the transfer and the comparison could, is a really legitimate one. 
so the article was kind of looking at kind of potential SNC strategies to improve the force and it, uh, of the punch, and it, and it kind of had three primary contributors, which were kind of the the arm musculature, the rotation of the trunk, and the kind of the drive off the ground by the legs, um, and the use of the legs. And um, the article kind of wanted to look at the the use of the legs primarily in that. And there are a couple of different studies kind of cited. Can't remember the the sort of the references off the top of my head, so apologies for that. Oh, you've got it. You've got it in front of you. <laughs> uh, there you go. Me, yeah. <laughs> that, that rings a bell. That rings a bell. Um, and uh, it was basically, it kind of, there were a couple of studies combined. And one was saying that the, the more experienced fighters um, had a greater uh, contribution from the legs to the punch compared to kind of the you know, other, other contributing factors. And another study said that elite fighters or elite boxers produced a greater punching force. So you're kind of thinking at that, and it sort of would suggest that that the greater the contribution from the legs, that the greater the the force of the punch. And it was then sort of further broken down into kind of fighting style. So it's sort of like you know knockout artists. I think they were called knockout artists had a, you know had an even higher greater you know contribution from the legs. So it kind of got my mind worrying about you know the different playing styles that we have, whether someone's an aggressive player, whether they're a kind of you know counter puncher running around the back, and and whether the aggressive player would have a, a bigger contribution from the legs or or, or whatever. But um, so it kind of yeah. So it was looking at sort of so the the idea was that it, the the implication of the articles or the inference was that it would that the use of the legs was was key in in sort of this the, the punching and, and if you sort of take that and use ball strike or the, you know hitting the ball instead of punching force i think you can sort of draw some nice comparisons between between the two yeah no i really enjoyed again like i said reading that and it's a lot of a lot of good stuff in that article i'll, I'll link to that um in the show notes and uh, kind of going on that point, I, I've heard, and, and even through the uh, Tennis Technique Summit, which now I'm plugging my own stuff, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, I, I've heard different um, uh, opinions on, I guess, the serve, uh, what contributes the most, because you've had, uh, I know some instructors say that, uh, oh, you know, even without my legs, I can serve like, you know, 90 miles per hour. But on the other hand, you have a lot of uh, distinguished coaches uh, on both both sides, of course. Uh, the others saying that uh, the legs are the primary contributor to power on the serve. And I know, you know, when I'm serving, if I don't properly use my lower body, I'm the serve is not that great. So I was just curious on your your opinion on the importance of of legs in the serve. Well, well I think they're important. Uh... Absolutely. And sort of not just in the surf, but also, you know, I've had the strokes as well. Uh, the, I mean, you might be able to serve, you know, serve a cannon without using them, but the power's got to come from somewhere. And if it's not coming from the legs, then I'd be worried about where it was coming from and how often you could repeat that. Mm-hmm. Uh, something's bound to kind of not be happy with that after a while. But I mean, <laughs> I think I think Mark again Kyvex has done you know done some good research in terms of the the um indication that the service with the highest kind of I was going to say MPH but probably K you know KPH thing, um <laughs> had the kind of the highest EMG activity in, in 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 the lower body primarily actually off the back leg so he talks a lot about the uh, you know the use of the the rear leg in terms of loading up for the serve mm-hmm. um I mean the legs are important but as as you kind of need, you know to drive up off the ground but i mean you don't need to go into like i don't need to go into like a huge you know deep knee bend in order to generate the force it's about generating the force from from the knee bend that you use and that will come about from you know some of the strength training some of the specific strength power training that, that you can incorporate um 
I mean, the legs are important in this, in as much as the whole body, as we've you know said before, is is a is a is a kinetic kind of chain. I think most people are familiar with that sort of term. So you, it's you know you got your your, your feet and an ankle complex are in contact with the ground. That's the first contact you have with the ground, and you only kind of get out of the ground what you can put into the ground. So that then transfers up through the legs, through the midsection, you know, into the shoulder, up to the arm, and to the racket. So it all links in in terms of a kinetic chain. So if if the legs aren't strong then you're getting off to a you know a bad start if that if that's the best way to put it um you know and according i say incorporate include the, the the foot and ankle complex sort of in that um so yeah so i think the legs are, are hugely important they are important though as well so long as not, you know there isn't some other issue going on further up the chain because again, that will have an impact in terms of the the serve and the serve counts and the serve power. Because you know, if something's not right further up the chain, then then that will cause a well, you know, energy leaks and 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 problems. So the legs are important, but they're important within the context of the whole chain. If that makes does that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And so obviously, you you know, you talked about boxing in in that particular article. Are there maybe any other sports that you might? think are similar to tennis or most similar that maybe we should even uh, partake in every now and then um yeah uh similar to tennis uh i guess it's very i mean it's very easy to to kind of think of any kind of racket based sport with that uh as being similar but they i guess they will be similar in, in terms of that there will be a, a racket hitting something but they can also all be incredibly different uh, I'm training. I'm sort of currently training a, a national level squash player, and, and finding out, you know, that, that there are definitely some very different, you know, requirements to squash when, as opposed to, to tennis. So that's been, you know, really useful and interesting kind of learning experience for me. Um, I guess, I guess as well, anything where you're where you're where you're out there, just just you, just by yourself. I mean, I know the WTA have got coaching on court, but a lot of times there isn't any coaching it's just you you've got a problem solved so i guess anytime there's something that's just a very solitary for a better term sport would be would be similar um i, I mean i totally advocate playing a variety of sports because as i said i think you can get a huge amount of transferability and huge amount of things from from a number of different sports i know when i played basketball i thought that you know the, the movement that you have, the short, sharp, the lateral kind of movements, the the vision, the kind of the court awareness, you know, I, I think that has a huge kind of carryover, and you know, as does a whole lot of different sports. I went and um, player I used to train is now playing in the top league of, of netball in this country, women's, and um, I went to see her play last weekend actually, which is which was great, and because uh, she's now sort of you know netball's taken taken priority. Um, but but I could certainly see you know that the things that we trained for tennis have had a huge carryover to to the netball and likewise I'm sure when she was playing netball growing you know at the same time as the tennis they, that had a transfer over as well to to the tennis so yeah absolutely I think playing a number of different things and and exploring the the, the benefits of them is 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 really important. Yeah, I agree, Dom. I mean, there's definitely a lot of athlete or a lot of tennis players who have played different sports, and I've had Tread Huey who's a top uh, professional. Uh, uh, player on the ATP tour and especially in doubles and he, he played a lot of baseball when he was young, I believe. Mm. So yeah, that, that's good stuff. Um, so also I, I want to touch on, you know, just, uh, you know, you do so much great coaching with players and I just want to 
you to kind of talk about your experiences uh, at Halton, uh, just, you know, working with them and, and what that's like. Do you mean sort of all, all ages, all different? Yeah, pretty much, because you, you said that you, yeah, you, you work with a ton of different, uh, wide variety of players uh, uh, age-wise and stuff, and what that's yeah. kind of like, I guess, you know, kind of transitioning to different different uh, age groups. Um, it's it's great. I mean, it's it's brilliant. You get a huge amount of variety, which is one thing, which is which is fantastic. It gives you a different challenge every time, so which is great. Um, yeah, so I do slightly less work probably with the real real young ones now. Sort of in the past, I've probably done a bit with six you know six year olds, um, but probably you know around about I guess maybe the youngest is about seven eight eight years old now, maybe seven or eight, and then the oldest. Um, player that i that i train uh is 82 i think 81 82 um because where we are at halton we've got a a very strong junior program and performance program but it's also a a club a thriving club so we have the two things sort of going hand in hand which i think works fantastically well and it just creates such a, a wonderful kind of symbiotic relationship to have the you know all of those you know people there so the, the, the club members love the junior program and and the junior program sort of you, you know they're, they're getting so many sort of social skills from from being within the club environment so it's fantastic so i you know i will yeah i, I don't just train the, the juniors i i train people from other sports i train a lot of club members people who play for the club they might play uh for the county for the eight for their age group they might play nationally for the age group um i've trained come for the, the forces we have a link with the royal air force the raf and i've you know, trained their wow. their the raf tennis team so you know there's a, a whole array of, of of different people um the younger ones um actually kind of i always used to find that those sessions almost like the most draining the most physically draining or mentally draining because you because you have to be not that not that I'm not all the time that sounds bad but you have to be so so alert so on them because you know you, you turn away for a moment and they're they're off doing something mad and you've got to kind of you know so you just got to it, you really have to be to be on it you know within the whole time so I've got nothing but respect for for the coaches who who, who work with the you know the, the younger you know the really sort of you know younger five six year olds um I think you've got to make sure that your points to them are very concise as well um just because the attention spans are not there you know 10 seconds to that age group feels like it feels like a lifetime and i've got you know three young children of my own and 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 i, I see that all the time you start giving them a you know, a lecture and they're completely switched off um so that's good and then when they comes become teenagers you know adolescents they present their own challenges you know they start to become a bit cool and so you have to try and sort of you know react accordingly and and find out what they're listening to find out what the what the things are at the moment try and get in with some of their language although they tell me i'm you know sad and out of touch for you know trying to speak like them but i don't mind sort of making myself look a bit stupid and then <laughs> you know and then the, the older age group again fantastic get as much satisfaction from from training the you know the the, the, 50, uh, the, the, the 55 and overs the 65 and overs as, as anything so it's 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 a wonderful kind of variety and mix it's fantastic dom and it's almost as if, it's on, uh, as if it was on cue and uh, when you were talking about the difficulties of teaching younger players i heard a uh, baby cry over here uh, oh really through the oh. walls yeah in my <laughs> professional studio which is my apartment uh, <laughs> uh but yeah that's that's fantastic and i imagine it must be kind of tough to have to kind of adjust i mean i guess you're used to it but you know adjust because you have to teach younger players very differently from the older players and and all different skill levels so i mean is that pretty i mean is that pretty tough for you or do you just you're you're kind of already used to it 
Uh, obviously, I'd like to say that I'm used to it and can kind of can kind of flit um, between you know between whatever is required. Uh, but it probably didn't happen overnight that way. You know, it's and I've probably made a fair number of uh, mistakes and errors, and I probably should apologise maybe to those I maybe trained you know ten years ago because I feel like I'm should be a, a better better SNC coach now. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's. I, I think it's. I think it's fine. I, I I don't find it too much of a of a of a of a problem to be honest. It's it's. Yeah, as I say they have their different um, challenges. You got to sort of adapt a little bit, be a bit of a um, uh, I guess a, a chameleon um, to a degree. But I think fundamentally it's important to be authentic. It's really important to just be yourself. You know, you're not trying to act in a way that's that's not congruent with your, you know, with your values and and, and what you normally are, because they'll see through that a mile off. You know, anyone will. Um, they'll also, you know, anyone will see if you're not engaged, if you're not uh, on it for the program for the session. They'll, they, you know, they'll, 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 that, that, that comes across instantly. So I think you've got, you know, you've got to be be yourself, but adapt accordingly. You know, I'll, I'll be talking about the, I don't know, whatever, but political situation with some of the older athletes but clearly that won't be discussed at all with the uh with the younger athletes we're talking about you know who's who's in the charts or like that so it's you know yeah i don't it it's it doesn't present for me i don't think too much of an issue he says hopefully sounding slightly modest no 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 (laughs) yeah no yes it's modest no uh, yeah i know you're very experienced and that's fantastic and so i'm just curious you know i mean you probably, you know, work extremely hard over at Halton Tennis Center. I was just wondering if maybe you could summarize, like, just you know, a typical day of what it's like for you there. Uh, well, pretty busy, uh, but <laughs> it's incredibly varied. I was just saying, I've just been there. I've just celebrated my tenth uh, anniversary there. I started Congrats. in April, April '07, and I, I cannot believe how quickly the time has gone. And and no two days are the same. And you know, it's just shot by in the blink of an eye. It's been it's been like a, a great place. It's always looking to develop. It's it's an unbelievable sort of centre in terms of its growth and development, and and it just never gets stale, never gets dull. Um, I mean, we're all over there. We're all kind of self-employed, so it, to, you know, I manage my diary to an extent. Although I, I obviously can commit to providing for the for the program um, as part of sort of every ball tennis um so yeah I, i'll train as i said before i'll train um perf- you know the performance program players i'll train kind of club players i'll train uh older people i'll train other athletes i'll train and i do sort of some general um personal training as well for for for, for the term general kind of populations um which is also you know enjoyable because it, it just gets you it's a different challenge which is which is wonderful um, so I might have a couple of you know, early morning sessions and a bit, bit of the performance program, then maybe some of the older or some of the club players, club members, then back in with the performance program. Uh, then might have some squads in the evening or some other athletes coming in, especially kind of with their junior ones after school. Um, factor that into some try and get some planning in there, some little sort of chats and meetings, you know, formal and informal. Uh, try and get my own training in there as well from time to time. Um, so they're pretty long days, but, you know, I'm, 
I, I try and get home early on a couple of evenings and, and it's just kind of help with bedtime at home. But yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of busy, they're varied, but they're, it's, it's brilliant. I, there's, I look at my diary every day and there's not one, one session or one time I sort of look at it and go, Oh, no, not that. You know, it, it's, it's great. Well, that's fantastic. I'm really happy for you that you are, you know, enjoying what you're doing. Uh, and it's, it's great stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I guess obviously, you know, for the podcast format, it's audio, so we can't really see, uh, what behind, what is behind Dom, but I can. Uh, and that's a, a ton of books, ton of books, which is a great sign, obviously. I'm just I've, got another, I've got another pile on my desk in front of me here. Oh my need God. They need to go on, they need to go on the shelf. Need another bookshelf. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, out of all those books or maybe other ones that you might have read, uh, what are maybe three books that you would gift to a friend, uh, to help them increase their knowledge about tennis fitness and, and strength and conditioning? Ooh, just three. Oh, well, you um, can do more if you want. <laughs> God, it's tough for three. Um, I've probably got most of them up there. Uh, so, so I always, I'm, I'm a, I love getting sort of new books in and just having a look. There's a whole pile that remain unread, but I'll get around to them. Uh, I mean, there's several, I mean, Mark's been involved in a few, obviously, you know, doing the ITPA certification. I, I like a, a lot of what, what Mark's done. Um, and he's been involved in sort of the, as you mentioned earlier, the complete conditioning for tennis sort of series. They're great. Uh, if we're looking at kind of, you know, tennis specific kind of work. Uh, he's also did another one. What was it? Total, total tennis training or te- tennis training on court. Principally, one that he, one that he did before that was that's a, a good one. I don't know. I can probably get it. Probably reach it on my bookshelf. Where is it? Tennis training, enhancing on court performance. There we go. That's the one um, which he did with Britt Chandler and Jeff Chandler. What was the name of that again, um, Dom? This is called tennis training. Gotcha. Great. There you go. Holding it up. Um, and then, I mean, the ITF uh, put together a number of books, so Strength and Conditioning for Tennis, um, Tennis Biomechanics, Tennis Psychology. They've been pretty well thumbed through in my time. Um, but then my book that I would always give to someone, which is unrelated to tennis, strength and conditioning, but I think is my favourite book ever, is Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album, which I think is just a, a, a wonderful book, and I try to kind of read it once a year if I can, maybe more. Um yeah, which is just a, a, a truly wonderful kind of life-affirming book. So wow. I always recommend that. Wow, and then, sorry, was that uh, Tuesdays with Maury? Yeah, Tuesdays with Maury, M-O-R-R-I-E. Gotcha. It's, it's, it's about a student who kind of reconnects with his old teacher who he kind of, you know, idolized and loved back in college days. Wow. wow true, cool. true, true story, true story. Oh, wonderful. I definitely have to check that out. It's high recommendation from you. Um so, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you know, get the audience to, uh, you know, hopefully either just check you out in, in the UK or maybe find you online. So where can, where can our audience find you uh, online and in person? Uh, yes, I was at Doom, yeah, head of athlete development, uh, the vast majority of my work at Halton Tennis Centre, Halton UK, which is just a little bit out of London, kind of northwest out of London. Um so on there, they have there's a website for that which is haltontennis.co.uk. Um, every ball is the kind of the coaching brand of, of Halton UK, so that's it's everyball.net. And my email is dom that's dom at everyball.net. Um, online Twitter, I'm on Twitter uh, dom j king, uh, which is probably my most um, uh, active kind of social media. Uh, I'm on it. I'm trying to get into Instagram. Uh, same thing, dom j king. 
uh, on Instagram, so I'm trying to get into that a little bit more. Uh, my website is maximiseathleticperformance.com, and that's maximise with an S because I'm UK. Uh, so if you put in the Z, you might, you might not get it. Uh, and that does have a Facebook page, but I, I'm very bad at, uh, at updating the Facebook page on that. I don't think I've done that for a long, long time. Um, so, yeah, I need to update my blog on the website a little bit more as well. So uh, there, there's some gold content on there, of course, but it needs to be uh, needs to be updated. It needs to be needs to have more there. But that's probably about the yeah the best best ways. Sounds great, Dom. And I guess I'm also going to sneak in one more question before I ask you our, our common closing question. Yeah. yeah uh, what's one myth in in uh, tennis strength and conditioning that you might be able to dispel for us today? So it might be something that you know, a, a large segment of, uh, of tennis coaches might believe in regards to strength and conditioning or, or that players think that that isn't really correct in, in your view. There, there was a bit of a thinking and it, and it sort of raised its head again, not too long ago, thinking that, you know, you could do anything that you really needed on the court. And it was just all about more, more, more on the court. And I think that's hopefully now, um, through you know more research, more certifications, just more knowledge, just you know that the that the off court work, that the preparing yourself physically for playing is is hugely important. Uh, and I say that that may or may not still be kind of a myth, but I know there's a certain section that still sort of believe that to be the case. And yeah, that kind of that more 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 approach, um, which you know is is I think that just is a recipe for overtraining for injury. You know, and our our, our approach really first and foremost has got to be to reduce the incidence of injury it's only then when you're not injured that you can actually look to improve performance so i, I think that was something that hopefully will, will will kind of not come about again but I don't know if there's anything here yeah, anything else beyond, beyond that i can think of right now yeah no i think that's a great one uh dom and so the question i was referring to earlier that i, I love to ask uh, all of our uh, esteemed guests such as yourself, Dom, is uh, what's one key tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their strength and conditioning for tennis? Uh, you asked me that one one thing. Um, I would say, um, I would say that that as well as the, I was talking about the building blocks of performance, and and patience is a, is another huge key kind of building block of performance. So having patience. Um, you know, stay stay focused. Trust the process. Stay consistent. Be consistent. Uh, find a. I'm, I'm sort of incorporating this into one key tip. You know, it's probably sounding like about seven or eight, That's but um, you know, kind of get good qualified. You know, S and C coaches. Get good people around you, and you know, you know, and and sort of trust trust the process that that of that, and um, you know, but but keep challenging yourself as well. Wonderful stuff, Dom. Well, you know, I really, again, thank you. Uh, you know, want to thank you so much for coming on to the Tennis Files podcast. I, I first, you know, noticed you, uh, I guess on Twitter and, and also you, you kindly commented on a couple of podcast episodes. And then when I checked out your profile, I was just really, uh, really impressed by your, your resume and what you're doing. And I, I just love, uh, the topic of, uh, tennis fitness and strength and conditioning. So I, I really was looking forward to this one and, and really enjoyed speaking with you, Dom. So, uh, thanks again for coming on and, and looking forward to connecting with you in the future and hopefully seeing you in Atlanta in a couple months. 
absolutely no thank you so much it's been it's been a pleasure and thanks very much for the invitation and yeah like i said i mean the comments that I made to you were, were, were genuine it's, it's a great job that, you, that you're doing and getting the information out there and and i really appreciate that as well so thank you thanks so much dom take care and you bye all right. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Dominic King. Uh, it was really a pleasure to talk with Dom about strength and conditioning for tennis, uh, one of my passions. And it was really a pleasure to speak with somebody who has uh, such a vast knowledge of that area, such as Dom. I encourage you guys to check out the International Tennis Performance Association or uh, ITPA um, because they do have uh, a great certification uh, program or several programs actually and I myself as I mentioned during the episode with Dom uh, am pursuing a uh, certification as a tennis performance trainer because as I said I want to learn a lot about um, you know the um, kind of the sports the sports science side of tennis and, and fitness especially so it's going to be pretty cool to broaden my knowledge and then, uh, you know, help you guys out as much as I can with it from what I learn. Um, so you can check that out at uh, tennisfiles.com slash ITPA. Uh, and that is actually an affiliate link. So if you were to um, decide to uh, purchase any of their products or seek a certification, uh, which I highly recommend you do if you want to learn more about tennis, then I would get a small commission from that. So I just want to be transparent there, of course. Um, and also, uh, I did do the uh, Tennis Technique Summit, which uh, a lot of you are aware of. But if you want to check out what that's all about, you can go to uh, TennisTechniqueSummit.com. Um, and I also really want to encourage you guys, uh, if you haven't yet, to subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. It just makes it easier for you uh, because you will just get the all the episodes downloaded automatically onto uh, whatever device you use to listen to the show. Uh, so you can do that on iTunes or, you know, whatever um, uh, platform you use to listen to the show. So, yeah, I mean, I just really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in today. And um, you know, I'm looking forward to having a lot of great episodes uh, down the pike. And um, I really appreciate you all tuning in. So uh, until next time, uh, this is Mirabon signing off. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.